So again, good morning. Thank you for being here. There was a, a research study that was done by Brigham Young University. It's one of these ones where the person coming into the study, one person doesn't know what's happening. And so what they did, they got a bunch of adults in a room together. They actually put them in a ring. And the idea was that they were going to be passing a ball back and forth to each other. Now, unfortunately, this one person who didn't know what was going on was never going to get the ball passed to them. Now, these are adults, and for a while they were laughing and giggling, and the person that was in this research study, they had a big smile on their face. But as the ball continued not to be passed to them, that smile kind of drifted away. And then they started having some very intense feelings of loneliness. As a matter of fact, they recorded what this person was thinking. They said that slowly they realized that the ball wasn't coming their way. The game wasn't for them. They pretended they didn't want to play anyway. They stopped trying. And they said the ostracized person testified to an increased sense that life is meaningless and devoid of purpose. Now that's in a 10-minute game of adults passing a ball around. Imagine, though, that this is not an experiment. And think about that person in life who, instead of waiting for a ball to come their way, is waiting on a phone call. They're waiting on a visit. They're waiting for another human being to show some kind of interest in them. As a matter of fact, at the conclusion of this study, they said that loneliness kills. That's the conclusion of that research study. And they're setting the alarm on what could be the next big public health issue on par with obesity and substance abuse. Now, this was before a pandemic and a lockdown. This is only intensified logarithmically, exponentially, since that study happened. There's been other studies as well. They did one called the Grant Study, which was interesting. This was done by Harvard University. They took a group of about 75 Harvard graduates, and they wanted to find out what factors contribute to human well-being and happiness. So it was 268, I'm sorry, 268 men over 72 years. It was a lifelong study. And they looked at a number of different factors. They looked at their health their diet, how social they were. They considered how they responded in crisis situations. Did they get angry? Did they have a visceral response? Did they smoke? Did they drink? And they came to this very interesting conclusion that the only thing that really matters in life are your relationships to other people. In other words, that long-term study looking at what makes someone happy and living a long life had more to do with relationships than anything else. Loneliness has been linked to cardiovascular disease, dementia, depression. And some research has said it affects mortality in a worse way than, again, obesity and these other factors. There's also a strong leak between isolation and poverty. <clears throat> Having two or more close friends reduces the likelihood of poverty by 20%. The saddest part of this is we have never had more loneliness in the world than we have right now. 
And we see here in Genesis 2.18, God himself states, it is not good that man should be alone. And what I want to talk about this morning is how do I find community? How do I find community? How do I find connection? I want to look at two verses here at the get-go. We'll be looking at several passages this morning, but we're going to start out in the book of Genesis chapter 1, read verses 26 and 27. Genesis chapter 1, 26 and 27. If you would, please stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. You may be seated. So we're continuing on this morning with our theme of putting our mission in motion. We've got the mission of First Baptist Church on the wall to know him and make him known. But how do you do that? How do we keep that from just being words that are up the wall? We went back and we looked at Acts chapter 2 a few weeks ago. And from that, we saw four action words rise to the surface. Worship, grow, connect, and serve. And this morning, we're going to focus on that third word, connection. Frankly, it does not come easy. Uh, it's very difficult. It's only gotten harder and, I, and as I've seen, uh, I've seen it here in Sheridan, I've seen it back in my hometown, I think that older generations even had an easier time with this in many ways than younger generations have with this now. So I'd like to look at connection and community this way. And I don't have it, yeah, here it is. The maker of community, we'll look at the mess of community, and finally we'll look at the marks of community. And we see back in Acts chapter 2, that very first fledgling church, it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, but not just the teaching, also to the fellowship. So this is very important, and I want to start out talking about the maker of community, because we see it there in Genesis chapter 1. So where does fellowship and community come from? I mean, who made it? Because when we think about God in eternity past, and maybe you've, you've considered this, it's like, okay, so like, what did he do? I mean, like, we believe in this eternal God. I mean, just getting your head around the fact that God had no beginning, that he's always been. But then, like, isn't it sort of lonely just drifting through the, like, the cold of space forever and ever and ever? Wasn't that lonely? Now, this is the interesting thing about the God we serve. God is not one person. God is three persons. And one of the deepest mysteries of Christianity is our triune God, one God who has eternally existed in three persons, but not just existing. Three persons in this loving community with each other. Three persons that were no doubt imagining the creation and what it was going to be and what it was going to look like in this selfless relationship that they have among themselves. Again, it's just one God, but it's three persons 
who have coexisted for all eternity. And we see many verses talking about the relationship among the members of the Godhead. In John 3.35, the Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hand. We see this relationship of love between the Father and the Son. John 14.31, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. This is Christ speaking about His relationship to the Father. In John 16.14, He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Again, speaking here, the relationship and work of the Holy Spirit to the the Son, what the Holy Spirit is going to do when Christ is taken away, he'll teach the disciples. Then other verses, in addition to this, Jesus says he sees the Father in John 3.11. He hears the Father in John 3.32. He does what the Father does in John 5.19-20. And then finally, the Holy Spirit speaks what he hears and gives what is the Son's and the Father's to the disciples here in John chapter 16. So we have these persons in an intimate relationship with each other. And then when we look back at that passage we just read, how are you and I made? You see, God is not just the maker of community. He's the model of community. And we are made in the image of God to be in community with each other, like God is in community with himself. There's a book called uh, The Trinity and the Fellowship of God's Peoples, written by George MacLeod. He said something very insightful about the Trinity. He said, there is a social life in the Godhead itself. The Godhead is a term for the three persons of the Trinity. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit live in community and fellowship. The same must be true of us. And it is. And I love it when science points out what the Scriptures have already told us, that we are not meant to live in loneliness and isolation. The body is not meant to do that. So one question is, well, if we're made for it, well, why do we try and avoid it? Because... In this auditorium right now, we have both introverts and extroverts. Now, if you're an extrovert, you are naturally drawn to people. They're like a battery source for you, and you hate being by yourself. It's like, man, I really need to talk to somebody. You know, I can be that way. It's like, typically, my door, no matter what I've got to do, things I need to get to. As a matter of fact, I probably need more discipline here. I love it when people want to come in and talk. These are extroverts. Some of you see human beings, though, as vampires that are waiting to come in and sink their teeth into your neck, and they're going to suck the life force out of you. They drain you, and it takes everything you've got to come here on a Sunday and be around people. It's not easy. And by the way, we love you, and you're sacrificing, and you're putting up with the extroverts. God bless you. God bless you. And that leads us into this next point. Because, see, community is not easy. There is this mess of community. And it's not easy. You know, we're all very different people. Church is this very unique place where people merge together, not around what their common affinities may be. They love this or love that. We're coming together because we're drawn together by the Holy Spirit. We differ so much. Yeah, we differ politically, we differ culturally, we differ racially. I mean, COVID has shown some of that, hasn't it? 
There's varied responses among believers to COVID and the coronavirus. And there's awkwardness and disappointment, and even sometimes there can be meanness. But the truth is, obstacles to community have occurred throughout time in the Bible. We see it all over the place. We see it uh, in the church in Corinth. In 1 Corinthians 12, 13, it says, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Now, this verse, of course, was not written for no reason. Paul looked at that church, and he knew there were big issues. These Jews and Greeks did not get along well. And some people were following the Jewish way, and some people were following the, the Greeks. And they differed in culture and how they did things and how they were raised. But Paul said there is something, though, that is drawing you together. And notice what it says. We all drink from the one Spirit. That is to say, the one Spirit who indwells Everyone in this church, all these believers, God himself is who we have in common. And he far transcends any normal cultural differences. See, if we weren't drawn together by the Spirit here at First Baptist Church, if it was just because we all had the same, the exact same political beliefs, we could just put a given... Um, political convention sign outside. We have to take the church sign down. Because we're drawn together by someone who far transcends any differences that we may have. We drink from the one Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit himself helps us overcome obstacles because there are going to be obstacles when you bring people together. There just are. When I first got here, uh, this, the elder board at the time and the staff, we read a book together. Uh, it's called Retro Christianity. It was written by a guy named Michael Spiegel. And it's about how to do church in the modern era. And he, he puts a lot of value in looking at the historic church, how they've done things in the past. But he, rec and he recognizes the deep need of community in churches. And he also recognizes just how hard it is. And I love what he says in that book. He says, confusion, discomfort, frustration, uneasiness, conflict, these are the effects of true community. He's not saying that this is, means we're doing it wrong. He just said, this is how it is. These conditions promote real spiritual growth. Did you ever think about that? It's easy to fake the fruit of the Spirit among people we pick as fellowship partners. It's far more difficult to pretend to love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control amount, amount those who irritate us. I don't think I've got that just right, but you get the idea. And putting our natural human inclinations to the test of real life gives God an opportunity to work among us in supernatural ways. That doesn't make it easy. But see, the community that Christians have, the connection and fellowship, is not natural. Unbelievers are drawn together by natural things. We're drawn together by supernatural. Supernatural reasons and purposes. Now, there's a disease among modern evangelicals, Christians, that's us. There's a disease called concertism. Now, concertism is when we come in, we sit in a big room like this, 
And we may be under the delusion that we're in community and fellowship. But just sitting shoulder to shoulder with somebody for a little while does not put you in fellowship with someone. It's the conversations that happen in the hallways. It's your willingness to reach out to somebody. It's your willingness to let someone else reach out to you. It's the degree to which we can be honest and transparent with each other. See, when those things are happening, you've got that degree of trust, and now you've got Christian community happening. But it's messy, and it's hard. And what does it even look like? I mean, if we're really doing community right, and another part of, another messy part of community is, is just fear. It says in 1 John 4, 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Fear is real. And fear can drive us apart. If you've been hurt by somebody, there's a guy that worked at the Billy Graham Center named Jerry Root. And he says this about the antidote to fear. He says, the Bible says the antidote to fear is the love of God. 1 John 4.18 reminds us, perfect love, perfect love casts out fear. A corollary, is, a corollary is that imperfect love breeds anxiety. If human love demands human meriting, then each of us is freighted with anxiety. Even well-meaning associates who love us, as well as they might, are incapable of loving us perfectly. We need to know that love of God. And I know that many of you have been hurt by somebody else. You've experienced this imperfect love. I remember one time I was walking my little dog, Brady, and uh, this was like the very first time I'd ever had him on a leash. This is our neighborhood back in West Virginia. Uh, he was irritating me because he wouldn't move. So I kind of jerked him a little bit, and the poor little thing came to a storm drain, and he just, his little legs fell right down into it. And he's just in there, and his little legs are kicking around, and... And I had to pick him up, and, and we keep going. And, and then it happened again. I felt terrible this time. Well, let me tell you, every time I took him for a walk after that, he wouldn't get within six feet of a storm drain. And some of you feel that way about people. You know the hurt they can bring. And that's why we need this healing love of God in our life. Let me tell you something. There are people in this church that will love you if you will let them. You can find community here. You may have to dig. You may have to come a few Sundays. You may have to go outside just this large meeting and go into one of the smaller groups and classes that we have. But it's there. That doesn't make it easy. I want to talk now about what does it look like. If we're really doing community here at First Baptist Church, what are the marks of that community? What would it look like? And we see a picture of it in Colossians chapter 3. Uh, Paul, again, wrote a letter to a church, and this is how he described it. He said, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. So here are the marks of true Christian community. I'd like to unpack this a little bit now. And first of all, talk about these compassionate 
this, these compassionate hearts. We see it in Romans 12, 15, very simply, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. If you can just do this, what a loving and compassionate heart you would have. See, the opposite of this is this idea of, uh, it's a German word, word schadenfreude. You may or may not have heard the German word schadenfreude. But schadenfreude means that when you hear something bad that happens to someone, you're secretly rejoicing about it. That's schadenfreude. See, the compassionate heart gets into the pain of somebody else and is willing to cry with them. You know, that is the most healing thing that you can do for someone who's hurting, is just sit and cry with them in their place where they are, in that pain they're experiencing. Isn't that what Christ did before he raised Lazarus from the dead? Shortest verse in the New Testament, Jesus wept. He knew he was going to raise him from the dead, but he sat and he cried with those grieving people. These are compassionate hearts. You know what? If you can find out what makes somebody cry when nobody's looking, or if you can open up to somebody else about that, what makes you cry when nobody's looking, and all of us are there, there's something, then you're getting a compassionate heart. And then secondly, kindness. This is benevolence in action. This is being loving towards other people. And then thirdly is humility. Treating others as though they are better than yourself. And gentleness is this Greek word, epicus, and it suggests that you are someone who does not need to get revenge. And you're trusting God to take care of the situation. And then meekness. And this speaks to a lowly attitude toward others. John Piper said this about meekness. He said, meekness loves to learn, and it counts the corrective blows of a friend as precious. And when it must say a critical word to a person caught in sin or error, it speaks from the deep conviction of its own fallibility and its own susceptibility to sin and its utter dependence on the grace of God. See, that's the attitude that you confront someone with, a meek attitude that you are just as fallible as they are. And then patience, patience. Even when you are provoked, you have a calm, steady response. You're willing to wait. There's a story I heard recently about a man who, he had his child with him in a grocery store, and the, and the kid was just acting crazy. I mean, screaming and yelling. And, and a woman noticed what was going on, and she heard this man saying to himself, rather just saying out loud, Donald, just be still. Just, just calm down. It's okay. She was so impressed by this man, how he was dealing with his son, that she walked over there and, and uh, said, Sir, this is a difficult situation. And she leaned down and said, in, into the, the buggy and said, Donald, what, what's wrong? And, and he looked at her and said, uh, No, ma'am, I'm Donald. I'm the one that's struggling here. It's... I'm talking to myself. This is a really tough time. But see, that's patience. The patience of a parent dealing with a child and, and you're exercising patience as well and forgiveness. Forgiveness is treating the person as though the wrong did not happen. It's an attitude. 
And uh, it doesn't mean forget. I don't know. It's unfortunately that we taps the word forget with forgiveness. I don't. There's some things that you cannot forget. You fight not to have those thoughts. You fight not to think that way, but it's hard to forget. And then finally, encouragement. Encouragement. This is what we get in 1 Thessalonians 5.11. It's a verse I read during the call to worship. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Everybody, without exception, needs encouragement. They need to hear some encouraging word. And you think to yourself, well, I just don't know what to say. That It's very simple. Just ask yourself, what encourages me? What word has been spoken to me that I found to be encouraging? That's how you know how to encourage someone else. By the way, that's living at the gold rule, right? That's treating someone the way you want to be treated. So if I was going to put all this together, I'd simply say being community by joining a community group and loving fellow sinners. We want to get more community groups going uh, here at First Baptist. As a matter of fact, by the grace of God, we're going to have a vote next Sunday for Kevin Reiser, who I believe would do a great job at helping us build community here at First Baptist Church. And we do have existing community groups. If you're, if you're here this morning and you're thinking, man, I'd like to be in community, I want to be, reach out to the church office and we will get you in a group somewhere. <clears throat> and I need to talk for a moment, and just in closing, about my Aunt Jo. And Aunt Jo passed away just a few years ago, and uh, she told me something I'll never forget. She was out of church for a very long time. She went to a church as a child and, and then left. She went through a pretty tough divorce. And years later, she came back. I think she was um, probably in her 60s. And she started going back to a church back in uh, West Virginia. And she said, Chad, my first morning there, she said, nobody said a word to me. She said, nobody talked to me. She said, nobody said hello. She said, it looked very clicky. I saw people sitting in their clicks around that auditorium and she said you know what she said i decided then and there what this church needs is me <laughs> and she became the church greeter and she started getting other greeters involved and she became sort of the outreach the self now you had to know her but she became like the self-declared outreach and greeter for this baptist church that she'd gotten involved in and maybe somebody here needs to be that for First Baptist Sheridan. Because we want to be a connected body of Christ, drawn together by the gospel and filled with the Holy Spirit. Please pray with me. Almighty God, I pray that you would increase the connection here at First Baptist Church. I pray that we would be a connected body that loves each other, and God, I'm thinking about those that are here right now this morning that are hungry for connection. And Lord, I pray that they would stick, stick with us. I pray, God, that we would find the right spot for them, Lord, or maybe they would find it themselves. And God, we thank you for the connection that you have with yourself, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, in a loving community with each other. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for making community and Christian fellowship possible by your death and resurrection. 
And thank you for the gift of salvation we receive by faith. It's in your holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Uh, before you leave, just a few things. Uh, first of all, after the second service, if you'd like to come back and meet with Rocky and Sylvia, they'll be doing a dessert in the youth room. Uh, also, next Sunday, we didn't get a quorum this past Sunday. This coming Sunday, uh, we're going to hold the vote. Uh, we're going to vote again. We're going to hold the vote right at the end of the first service and the second service. And yes, I have learned we will never do anything during Rodeo Week again. I've learned that. Uh, so if you can, please uh, make it out next Sunday and vote with us. And uh, before you leave today, take a moment and just talk to one person whom you don't know. Extend that hand of fellowship before you leave today. I'd love to see some people meet others whom they don't know. Otherwise, um, have a wonderful day. If you're in need of prayer, I'll be down front as well as one or two other elders. Thank you for being here.